Psalm 111. Praise the Lord. Can you memorize that? <laughs> it's like a touchdown. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. The works of the Lord are great. We'd say mega great. Studied by all who have pleasure in them. His work is honorable and glorious and his righteousness endures forever. He has made his wonderful works to be remembered. One of the things we want to do today is remember what the Lord has done. Amen? Check it out. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. All in favor? He's given food to those who fear him. He'll ever be mindful of his covenant. He's declared to his people the power of his works and giving them the heritage of the nations. Whew. He has sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. Amen. Let's do that today. We're here today on Sunday celebrating the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. And we want to continue praising the Lord with the family of God from all over the world today. Billions of people today all over this world are giving praise to God for sending his son Jesus to be the savior of the world. We're a part of that group. So, Father, we come before you today. We do say praise the Lord. We want to worship you with our entire being, our lives and our finances and our words and our heart. Not only in this congregation, Lord, but outside these walls, we do declare the works of the Lord to be great. We do want to study them today. We say that your work is honorable and glorious. And Father, we just want to come before you today and to declare your graciousness and your compassion and your mercy in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. All right, let's do that. Never 
me down. You're never gonna let, never gonna let me down. You're never gonna let, never gonna let me down. You're never gonna let, never gonna let me down. You are
all glory be to you, Lord. Thank you so much for blessing us with this beautiful day, Lord. And blessing us with this church where we can gather together, Lord. And just praise you. Come together and worship your mighty being, Lord. That you created the earth. That you created us, Lord. And loved us even when we were your enemy, Lord. You, you sent out somebody to talk to us, Lord. And your word does not go void, Lord. Sometimes we might reject it and all that, but I think people ponder that when, 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 you're, when you're telling them about it and they're pushing you back. You know it goes through their mind again, Lord, because it is the truth, and the truth is very powerful. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the pastor, Lord, Pastor Kirk Dolan, who studies hard and is going to give us the truth today, Lord. We love you so much, and we pray this in your precious son Jesus' name. Amen. bless you today. Welcome, everyone. Breakwater Embassy Mega Church. The greatest church of all time. So, good news. Jesus still reigns. God is still on the throne. Still worthy of all our praise. That's it. No matter what happens, God knows all about it. Provided grace for us. Aren't you happy about that? So, what did I do with my... <clears throat> with this? So, as you know, we have tremendous family overseas in Malawi. And we are partnering with them to do great and mighty things. And one of our dear friends over there, Paul, little Paul we call him, right? A BFF, right, Chris? Yep, little Abusa Paul. Uh, we've known him for decades. We've helped send him to uh, Bible college. And he is a key member of the, the church over there, helped leading the youth group at the Foursquare Church. He's also been a member of the church council. And he also worked in the school there as one of the people that were part of the superintendent of the school. Now he has a job in the government as a health assistant. And he's doing a great job still at the church. And there's a little, there's a, there's a major city about four hours to the north. And they, the, their church purchased property and they've been going up every Sunday after their own church. It's like a four hour drive to preach the gospel at a prayer point. And they hope to build a church there and, and whatnot. So Paul is one of the people that go there every other week, so they trade off, and he takes public transportation, which is a nightmare, especially with the COVID over there and whatnot. So uh, what I'd like to do is send him to driving school. Huh? Wouldn't that be great? We have some vehicles there. We got a little truck, some other, some other vehicles at the church that he could use, and I know that they use it for those purposes they got a number of different church plants and things they're doing. So 
uh, I am going to come to you and say, let's bless Paul and let's send him to driving school, okay? So if you want to help out, it's only like 400 bucks, 350 something like that. So I'm on board with that. If you want to help out that, you just put Africa Outreach, put it right here, whatever it is, and we're going to bless him. I told Stanley that, uh, you know, we want to help him in any way he can because he's proven himself to be a faithful uh, servant. He's shown himself through thick and thin. You know, some people come and some go, but he's he's faithful guy. He's got his hand to the plow. And so we want to be a blessing there to little Paul. And they got a little little truck, and I told Stanley, we, we want to paint that truck and we want to make it look good, and we want to put Foursquare inside of it so when they drive around, you know, it's advertisement for Foursquare and Blend Tires. So we're going to do a couple things. Uh, that's one of the things we want to come before the Lord right now. And also, uh, be praying about this summer outreach. We have great plans to reach thousands and thousands of people for the Lord Jesus Christ, and everything that comes into Africa Outreach will go to that and uh, make things happen. So we're going to come before the Lord right now, tithes and offerings, and we're just going to ask the Lord to bless the giver. In Jesus' name. Father, we just come before you right now, and you told us to honor you in our giving. And Lord, you have given your son to us. You've given all. He went all the way to the cross on our behalf. And Lord, you ask so little of us, Lord. And we just praise, praise you today, Lord, and ask that you'd receive this offering in Jesus' name. We do pray for, for little Paul, Lord, and Abusa Paul, and we just pray that you'd uh, just use him for generations, Lord, to be... Uh, just salt and light in that little country over there. In Jesus' name, amen. Thousand reasons for my heart to find. 
Chris, do you want to come up? Sorry. <laughs> All right, praise God. All right, Heavenly Father, you're so good, so good. How grateful we are, Lord, the opportunity to to give you our first fruits, Lord. Lord, I'm just, we're eager to see what you're going to do with this. We're excited, Lord, that hope set before us will not be taken away. Lord, your word will not be come back void. Lord, I thank you, Father, for blessing Abusa Paul, Lord, for the, for the finances to open new doors, to help him expand your kingdom to where, where he'd be able to freely move in vehicles without having to get smashed into little minibuses, Lord. So I pray blessing over that. Bless his family. Bless the whole um, Foursquare Church in Blantyre, for, uh, Lord, Malawi, Lord, that they would be equipped and have the ability to effectively share your truth, your love, and your power, Lord. Give them authority to boldly go, Lord, where people are hurting. So thank you, Father, for the giver. Thank you, Father, Lord, that, um, Lord, we have the opportunity to partner with you, Lord. What a privilege it is. Help us have that mindset, Lord, that the more we trust you, the, the, the safer we're going to be. So I pray a blessing over this in the almighty name of Jesus. Amen. All right. We've got the uh, awesome worship team today. We've got Chris praying for the offering today. For all of you in the listening audience, welcome. All of you here, God bless you. We are attempting to work our way through Matthew's gospel. And today we are 
making tremendous headway into the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Now, if you think about the genealogy, it's like the entire Old Testament, right? So you could spend a lot of time in there if you really wanted to, and it's been good for me. I've been having a good time. I hope that you've been in learning some things from this. So we are in Matthew chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, you can open up there. But I want to look at two people today, Rahab and Ruth. Once upon a time, not as in a fairy tale, but as in once upon a time, they were Gentile sinners who were converted to faith in God Almighty and their lives were changed. So we want to appreciate that grace of God that was at work in their lives because it's the same grace that has worked today, yesterday, and forever that's at work in our lives. What do you say? So as we, look, as we work through the human genealogy of Jesus, we also want to remember that he had a divine genealogy. Okay? In John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay? We have to know that whatever we think about Jesus and his humanity, he is God come in human flesh and human likeness. All right? Now, having said that, there's five women in the showcased in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, and we have been looking at Tamar. Now, out of all the possible women that you could have that entire history, and out of all the combinations of women you could choose to mention in the list of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, we have five women and two of them are Rahab and Ruth. Now, Rahab is the mother of Boaz, and Ruth is the wife of Boaz. All right? So Boaz figures heavily here. And this inclusion reveals some awesome truths about the grace of God, which I'm hoping will speak to us today. So in Matthew 1.3, Judah's the father of these two guys whose mother was Tamar, uh, we spent a little time on Judah and Tamar, the mother of Perez. It's interesting that this sordid relationship between Judah and Tamar has become public knowledge and the subject of so much discussion and artwork. You can go on the internet right now and just find all kinds of, of art about this particular episode where he's on his way to the <laughs> sheep shearing, right? Which is so embarrassing. I guess if it was today, it would be TikTok or Facebook or YouTube or something, right? But there's so many of them, page after page. It's the old honeypot, right? It's like, you know, the Chinese spy in the Senate. Plenty of them. How many, how many are there? They go on and on. As I said last week, I would not want my life as a 20-year-old publicized I would not appreciate that part of my young life, that time full of darkness, accumulation of sin. We were making all kinds of bad choices that led to all kinds of ramifications. The good news is that's once upon a time. In 1974, 22 years old, I encountered Christ in a life-changing experience. Praise God for that. I'm very happy about it. You know, my life was so dark, going in no particular direction, just wrapped up in hedonism and pleasure, and I'm so grateful that that's B.C., before Christ, 
there should be an episode in our life where we can say that's once upon a time and now we're moving to the future. We're looking forward and not backwards. You know, I feel like I'm a much better person than I was, right? Now, it doesn't mean it can't be better. Anybody made it all the way to the top of Mount Betterness? <laughs> huh? We got there. No, so, I mean, we all, we all got a way to grow. And likewise, I just want to focus for a minute on uh, Judah's life because we've been talking about him in this particular situation. And eventually, <clears throat> at the end of his life, he became the defender of his little brother, Benjamin, put his own life in danger. Twice he offered himself in the place of Benjamin as a slave to Pharaoh, who he didn't know that it was Joseph, his brother, right? So he thinks that uh, he's talking to the second-in-command there. And this is the Joseph that they attempted to kill. This is the Joseph that he agreed to send into slavery. And now he is the protector of his little brother here. So it's Judah who says, you know, He's trying to say to Joseph, how can we prove our innocence? You know, if you know the story, Joseph hid the cup in Benjamin's bag, and they found it, and he was going to keep Benjamin back. And Judah went to this big thing about, you know, how it would kill his dad to do that. And God has uncovered our servants' guilt. So they have to live with this guilt of what they did with Joseph their entire life. And so he says, now, look, we, uh, we are your slaves, we ourselves and the one who was found with the cup. And then he goes, no, 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 no. I'm just, I'm just taking the little guy. You know, he's, he's toying with him. He's not, he's not having any of it, right? And he says, then again he says, Judah says, please let your servant remain here as my Lord's servant in place of the boy. So twice he sacrificially presented himself to be a slave in the place of, of Benjamin. And so now there's other artwork that display his, his repentance and his restoration and his uh, reunion with his, his brothers and, of course, happy ending right there, isn't it? What do you say? And that's, that's, that's a once-upon-a-time story for Judah. So we know that the entire family moves to Egypt eventually due to the huge famine that was taken on there. That's a part of the process here. <laughs> Uh, and they would remain in Africa for 400 years before Moses and before the Exodus and the return back to the land of promise. Now, in the final blessing of Jacob on his deathbed, Judah receives a favorable blessing. And, of course, the name of Judah means praise, right? It's a great name, strong name, I'm told. Awesome. And so here's what... Jacob says about Judas, and if you read in 49, there's not a whole lot to be said good about the brothers. Joseph, of course, sterling, silver has got, and Jacob has a lot good to say about uh, Joseph, but in terms of this, as Judah, your brothers will praise you, your hand will be on the neck of your enemies, you know, you'll be victorious, uh, you'll be a leadership, you're like a lion, uh, no one's going to mess with you. And here, verse 10, it says, the scepter will not depart from Judah. This is a messianic prophecy, a royal prophecy, and nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he comes to whom it belongs and the obedience of the nations is his. Come on. 
Jesus, Lion of the tribe of Judah. So God's grace after the fall, right? God's grace after Tamar, God's grace after all the things that's gone on in his life. There's a, there's a change point in his life, and he is going to become a leader among his brothers as well as the progenitor or in the direct ancestry of the royal line of King David and ultimately the Lord Jesus Christ. So we want to remember that God is a God of redemption. What do you say? If you learn anything from this, we should be really happy about this part of that story. Which means we all need grace, all of sin, right? Who doesn't need it? And we need to be gracious people, right? We need, we need to have grace with people who are on their journey, wherever they are, and help them along, knowing that it, in this journey it takes time and sometimes adverse situations that bring us closer to God. What do you say? Now, I'm reminded <clears throat> that we often do not allow people to change for the better. Often we, we stick people in the prison of their past and we don't actually allow them to improve and we don't accept them where they are in the journey as an improved person, you know, 2.0. So if I said Scrooge, what comes to mind? This guy, right? Now normally, just, I mean, I've done this before, but normally when we think of the old Scrooge, he's a greedy, stingy old miser. What do you say? So we lock him into that sinful past, and we refuse to forgive him or allow him the honor of being redeemed. So if you go online and you look up old Scrooge, there's pages and pages of this picture or a picture like this, right? There's never any picture, at least I haven't found, I'm sure there are, of him being the magnanimous, generous person that he became. So really, if we call somebody an old Scrooge, it should be a title of honor describing somebody of incredible generosity and compassion for the poor, right? So if we say Bob is a Scrooge, <laughs> it should mean that Bob is extremely generous and kind and compassionate. What do you say? But this is what we do. We do the same thing to Adam and Eve. We lock Adam and Eve in a prison of sin and unforgiveness in Genesis 3. We don't allow them to be redeemed. We don't allow the redemption of God that we find in Genesis 5, the blessing chapter. You could lock Paul right into his past as a persecutor of the church. And, or we could allow the grace of God to be at work in his life. So we remember Paul mostly as what? A great missionary, do we not? Peter often is defined by his failures and foibles as a, as a young disciple of Christ. What do you say? In the Acts of the Apostles, we see a powerful man of God, full of the Holy Spirit, boldness, who goes on just to spread the gospel throughout the world. That's the Peter that we should really appreciate, who has become a fisher of man as a result of the process of God's grace in his life. We should allow for that change to take place. So there's a becoming in all of our lives, is there not? What we are today, hopefully we'll be better tomorrow. What we are tomorrow, will be better the next day. We should be moving along on this journey to becoming more like Jesus Christ. 
It's a lifelong journey that includes your failures, your foibles, and your successes. It kind of wraps your whole life together, right? Hopefully, God sees the potential in us, and there's a future for us that's bright. What do you say? I'm going to hold on to that. So here we see where we get to Rahab and Ruth in the genealogy. Now, what's interesting is normally when you read the Old Testament, you don't realize that they're related. Yeah, Rahab is Ruth's mother-in-law. Now, while Rahab is the mother of Boaz, and Ruth is married to Boaz. All right? You know, you could, you could miss that. And what we want to know here is that Rahab was a prostitute from Jericho, and Ruth is a Moabite from a despised people. Now, these two ladies in the genealogy of Jesus are great examples, not only of the sovereignty of God, but also of the gracious, amazing grace of God. Rahab is a Canaanite, idol-worshiping lady from Jericho, and Ruth is a Moabite, Gentile, idol-worshiper. Now, both of these ladies add their DNA to the human ancestry of Christ. Now, you think about Jesus, the kind of DNA that he's got. He's, He's the world in his humanity, right? There's Gentiles in his genetic makeup. Now, when you think of Rahab, she's used as an example of faith in the Hebrews 11 Hall of Fame. It talks about when the walls of Jericho fell down by faith after the people marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, now I'm going to call her former prostitute because I'm going to allow her to be changed. You know what I'm talking about? That's it. I'm going to call her the innkeeper. But the story is, we know she welcomed the spies and protected her family as a result of that act of faith. Okay, so here we are in Hebrews 11. Now, we should be familiar with this story, right? So we'll relive it here just for a moment. But in the Battle of Jericho, they finally wandered their 40 years in the wilderness. They escaped from Egypt, wandered. Now they're coming in. Their first battle uh, in the conquest of the Canaan land was Jericho, Joshua chapter 6. Then the walls of Jericho fell after they marched around them seven times, uh, once a day for six days, and seven times on the seventh day blew trumps, and the, and the walls fell down. But in this, before this happened, before this very artsy event, right? Check it out. What mayhem. Joshua sent out some spies to check it out because he wanted to know what was going on. Scout out the land, especially Jericho. So he sent two guys that were well acquainted with the city and with the land of the Canaanites. And so their, their, their purpose was to go into Jericho and determine the attitude of the people determine the strength of the walls to see where the walls were weakest, where maybe they could get a way into the city. 
and which gates were weak, which would allow them to, uh, you know, do a little uh, espionage here. So when they came to this particular very well-protected city, which uh, took in strangers all the time, you know, people coming and going, doing business. So people coming in, they were unnoticed, and uh, they're hanging out at the inn that Rahab had, which I'm sure took in strangers, just like any other hotel, six. And so after they completed their investigation, they're eating supper at the at uh, Rahab's inn, and then the king found out that these strangers were in town casing out the place, so they sent uh, soldiers over there to arrest them. Rahab found out and hid them up in the straw, okay? Everybody, so far so good? Look at the artwork. There it is. There she is. Look at her. Got to be her. So she hid the two guys in the straw, and when they asked her, you know, have you seen these guys? Yeah, I have. Now, this is the only truthful thing that she says in this whole part of the story, right? Yeah, they were here, <clears throat> but I didn't know where they were from. That's misleading. They left the town at dusk. That's misleading. I don't know where they went. That's misleading. If you hurry, you can probably catch them. Probably not. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> probably not. Yeah, probably the best. <laughs> Carlsbad, probably the best beer in Malawi. Whenever we're in Malawi, I always tell probably jokes. It's like when I was at the Rio River, and I wanted to cross over to Mozambique, because there was Mozambique. If I could get across this... This river, it's like, you know, 20 yards, and I could touch Mozambique. It says, been to Mozambique. So I asked the guy, is there any crocodiles in the river? Before I cross, I want to know. And he goes, probably not. <laughs> I said, that wasn't decisive enough. We're not going to do that. Probably not. Took a boat. So she protects them, does her best job, convinces them that they got to go and hid the spies. And then uh, these, the messengers go. They believe her. She's very believable <clears throat> without searching. Pursue them down the roads, never find them. She brings them, and then she goes, look it. I, I need you to swear to me by the Lord that you'll be kind to me and my family since I've helped you. Give me some guarantee that when... Jericho's conquered, you let us live. Now check it out. Me, my father, my mother, my brothers and sisters, and all their families, right? Sometimes we think it's just Rahab. She's going, everybody I know, my whole neighborhood, you know, my extended family, uncles, aunts, cousins, all of us. They, well, if they can fit into your, your inn or your little house, that'll be great, right? <clears throat> so they, he made them swear to that, and then... She let them down a rope off the wall of the city after they pledged to, to do exactly that. So they agreed. They ordered thanks. And they, said, they gave her this little bit of advice. You can read it in the, in the scripture. They said, if there's someone in your family that's out engaged in this war and they die, you know, our oath doesn't apply to those people. 
are ultimately applied to those people that are actually in your in. And so here's what I need you to hang out, the scarlet, the scarlet threads by your doors, your windows, whatever it is. We want to know where you are, and we're going to tell everybody so when we come here, you will be safe. So she helped them escape. Look at all the artwork on this. And uh, plenty of it. Go online. Check it out. It's good. <clears throat> so since her house was built into the wall, she let them down by a rope through the window. And she gave them instructions on how to make this escape good, right? Hide for three days. Men searching you. Uh, go your way. So in the New Testament, she's using this example of faith. In James 2, 24, 26, you see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone, okay? She actually had to do something to protect those people and go out of her way to make that happen. What do you say? And so he says, Rahab, the former prostitute, was considered righteous by what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent the, the messengers, king's messengers, off in a different direction. So as a body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is what? It's useless, right? I mean, think about it. <clears throat> if you had to prove that you were a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Hmm? Whew. All right. We want to create some evidence, don't we? What do you say? Let's have some deeds. Yeah. Faith produces works because God is at work in you and God's a worker, right? If God is in you truly and God is at work in you, there will be something that comes out of you. That's how it, that's how it manifests itself. So if you've got nothing to show, right, you need God in your life to produce the fruit of the Spirit in your life, right? What do you say? We go to Ruth. Plenty of stuff there. Where you go, I will go. Look at her. She's got some, some wheat, some grain, and she's got her famous saying, awesome words, can of scripture. Ruth, my hero. <clears throat> so during a harsh and bitter time in the history of the nation of Israel's famines all the time, what do you expect, Right? We're in a drought right now in California right now. Thank God for the rain and the snow. That's going to help us. We're really, really grateful. But in the time of Ruth, this was during the period of the judges. <clears throat> After the death of Samson, Eli was the high priest. And there was a famine in the land. It's the day of judges. Severe famine. So what are you going to do? You can't starve to death. That's what Jacob took his whole family to Egypt because there was a famine. We weren't able to grow food. So... This family from Bethlehem left his home and went to live in the country of Moab. Moab's on the other side of the Dead Sea. He took his wife and two sons with him. And his wife is Naomi. And we got to the two boys heading off to Moab. Now, a lot of people in those days were nomadic people. And uh, when things weren't going well, you go to another place. You just take your flocks, your tents, and go. Packed up. You know, Bethlehem wasn't a major city in those days. It was probably a small village. And uh, they, things went pretty well in Moab. 
However, it is a polytheistic, idol-worshipping nation. Elimelech died, and so now Naomi's a single mother, and then 10 years into this, her two sons died. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other one named Ruth. So that's how Ruth comes into the picture. I mean, think, think of the providence of God in all this. You know what I'm saying? In terms of getting them from Bethlehem all the way over to Moab to wherever this town was to find that particular person for this particular brother. Okay? Unbelievable. Naomi's all alone, two sons, husband, dead. So she's doing what she can do, bring up her young sons. She finds wife, wives for them from Moabite women, and then both her sons pass away. So now she's comforted by her two widowed daughters-in-law. They love her a lot. But one day she says, you know what? Uh, God has blessed the people back in Judah. We're going to go back. We got to go where where food is. This still happens. In fact, one of the areas that we're heavily involved in in Africa has been opened up for farming. So many different people groups from different parts of Malawi have moved up into this area so they can have places to farm. So it's it's still an ongoing uh, process like this for agriculturally based people. All right. And one of, the, one of the good things about that is they, they, they bring their, their customs and their culture. So it's kind of a mixed cultural group that we've been heavily invested in. And that is an area that we are really bringing a lot of the gospel to. Uh, just a diverse cultural mix of Malawian people. So we see the same process happening here. They're going to go uh, back to Bethlehem from Moab, return to her, her land, and and, and Naomi is discouraging them. She says, no, nah, no, don't, don't come with me. Go back to your family. She's convincing them. You see some between uh, verse 12 and 15, a little space there. But she convinces Orpah to go back. And she, so she tells Ruth, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same thing. You know, because she doesn't know what to expect. She's been gone for at least 10 years from Judah. What's the future hold for her? She's a widow. And these are Moabite women going over to Israel, so it's not looking good. <clears throat> she was old, and even if she had more sons, what, what is she going to do? So at first, Orpah refused to go back, but then upon Naomi's insistence, she went back to her own people. So... What were their gods? What were the gods of the Moabites? The national god of the Moabites was Chemosh, who among the sacrifices that were required to appease this idol, human sacrifices, the god of the war, included the sacrifice of children. So I've just given you one scripture in 2 Kings 3.26. The king of Moab's in a battle, and it's going bad for him. So he took... 700 swordsmen to try to break through in this battle with the king of Edom, but they failed. So he goes, okay, I'm going to take my firstborn son, who was the successor as king, and offered him as a sacrifice on the city wall. That's sick. What do you say? 
Do you want to go back to that? Ruth says, I ain't going back to that. <laughs> Look at what Ruth says. Ruth says, don't ask me to turn back. Right? Don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Look at There's points in our life when there's a turning back and there's a going forward. Are you with me? This is the once upon a time story of Ruth where she had to make a decision about the direction of her life. And she said, I'm not going back to that. I've had enough of that. I'm, I'm going with the people of God. Are you with me? Now, every single person is called to that very point of decision to decide what you're going to do. Are you going to continue in the ways of darkness? Are you going to continue in the old ways of idolatry? Or are you going to move forward with the people of God? All right? That's a, this is the once in a upon a time change point in Ruth's life. And I love her commitments here. There's no turning back. There's only going forward. And she doesn't know what the future holds, but she knows that God holds that future, and she wants to be in that future, whatever happens. She wants to be with the people of God and with God's word as she moves forward in life. So she goes, wherever you go, that's where I'm going. Wherever you live, that's where I want to live. Your people, my people. Your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I'll die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. That is a tremendous declaration of faith. What do you say? With your mouth, you confess, made, right? Unbelievable. Ruth was not to be persuaded to leave Naomi and God's people. She would stay with Naomi regardless of what the future held for her. Naomi didn't say, it's going to be great when we go back. It's going to be awesome. There's going to be prosperity when we go back. We're going to be rich. God's going to make you rich. She goes, there's nothing for me going back except the hope that maybe there's food there, right? So even when they get there, poor little Ruth is picking up the grain left over from reapers. That's not a bright future, right? But following God is not really about prosperity. It's not really about a bright future. What it's about is being with God in the palm of his hand because that's where you need to be regardless of what happens. Now, do we want a brighter future? Yeah, we believe. Do you want prosperity? Absolutely. But that's not why you come to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not why you follow God. You follow God because it's the right decision to make. And Ruth is scripted into the history of God's work in the world. Can you imagine that? And so have you been. You're writing a story. Ruth has a story. You have a story. You have a change point, hopefully, from once upon a time to what you're doing. And regardless of how successful we've been at following Jesus today, tomorrow is a different day. We make commitments to the future. So she's making commitments, whatever, whenever, wherever, I'm going with you. Okay? Check it out. It's important. Ruth, Naomi, plenty of it. Now, this kind of reminded me of a story in John's gospel where Jesus was giving them these hard sayings. 
And he says, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, drink his blood, you have no life in you. And they're all scratching their head, and they're trying to figure out what he's saying. I think we still are. And many of his disciples said, this is, this is a hard saying. There's some things in the teaching of Jesus that we don't understand. So who can accept this? So from this time, many of his disciples, what did they do? Turned back and no longer followed him. They went back. Back to what? What's there to go back to? You know? No longer followed him, which is future, right? Following Jesus is future. Going back is the same old, same old. And he says to his, to his, his guys, he says, do you want to leave me too? And they go, no, I could, where are we going to go? <laughs> where, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life, and we know and believe, we believe and know, that you are the Messiah, the Holy One of God. All right? A lot of things we don't know in the Scripture, a lot of things Jesus says difficult to understand, but one thing we do know, he is the Messiah, he is the Savior, He's the one to follow. He's the way, the truth, or the life. He's the one that's going to get us back to heaven. All right? We'll figure it all out later. We just have to be certain about a few things. And one of the things we need to be certain about is that God has a long history of fulfilling his promises. And God is good. And no matter what happens, you want to be in the palm of God's hands at the end of the day. And no matter what happens, we want to be with Jesus Christ. We believe and know that he is the Holy One. So Ruth says, hey, wherever, wherever, whoever, I'm with you. Don't ask me to leave you. So her complete surrender to the future, her complete surrender to the God of Israel leads her to an uncertain future, right? Nothing really there except for her love for Naomi and her honest faith in the Lord God. There she is. Look at her. It's got to be her. So she makes a commitment, and this is important, to a new land. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Her ancestral home, all her family and friends, she's like Abraham, isn't she? I'm going wherever God leads me. And we have to have the same kind of faith that says, wherever God leaves us, I'm, I'm in Redondo Beach, right? How do we get here? How did you get here? You know, God steers, God directs, God guides, brings us into relationship with people that normally we wouldn't know in the course of our lives. So one thing is being willing to go where God sends you. And then she commits to a new life. Your, your people will be my people. Check this out. She's willing to leave her family, go to a strange land, which is to say her faith has no borders. So she tells Orpah to go back to her gods, but it's like, no, I'm going to go to the god of, the, of, the, of creation, the god of the universe. There, there's no boundaries or borders for God of Israel, is there? Mm-mm. So she's willing to give up her religion, her religious background, her cultural identity to identify with a totally new people. Okay, that's important. 
as Christians, as followers of Christ, we are grafted into the family of God. So we have family and friends all over the world. When I, how many places have we been in the world? When you find a Christian, you have kinship. You have family. It's a mystery of the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And so for me, growing up in Venice, large family, big neighborhood, lots of friend, uh, lots of, uh, of community that we grew up with, when I became born again and had my once-in-upon-a-time life-changing experience of Christ, hallelujah, I go back to my community and say, hey, Jesus is what we're looking for. Jesus is what you want. This is what we're taking drugs for. This is what we think we're looking for in alcohol and drug addiction and all those other things that hippies do, right? Empty until you find Christ. And so what happens is I'm ostracized. Oh, we don't want you around anymore. What? Really? Okay, so what happens? You have to find a new land, and you have to find new people, right? So we didn't grow up with each other. We don't know any you from childhood or from college or from school. You're, we're not a, a part of any network of friends that we've had for you know, generations. We're brought together in this new family simply by the Holy Spirit of God. And we have this relationship because of that. So she was willing to say, I'm leaving all that behind to associate with the people of God. I want your people to be my people. I'm giving up my idolatry, my Moabite religion, and I want to conform myself to the ways of the God of Israel. So her faith had no racial identity. There's a lot of people of religion that is identified by their, their racial background. But for her, it's like, no, I'm going to go into a strange land with a strange people because I feel at home there with, that, with, with the word of God and with the Lord. So she identified with the people of God. That's important, okay? And then she renews her commitment or renew, uh, renews it to the Lord God. Your God will be my God, all right? We can say that same prayer, can we not? The God of the Bible, the God of Genesis 1-1, the God of John 1-1, my God, right? That's the one. That's the one there. Of all the gods are to choose from, there's plenty we're, cho we're choosing Genesis 1-1, John 1-1. All in favor? So she was willing to allow the God of Israel, she was willing to submit to the God of Israel to guide her life, and her faith reaches beyond her culture. All right? Her, the, neural, the narrow confines of her culture and their demonic idols and darkness. And then she commits to the future. <clears throat> no fear of the future. Wherever you die, which hopefully a long time from now, that's where I'm going to die. Wherever you're buried, that's where I'm going to be buried. So she had no fear of an uncertain future. She was willing to allow God to guide her, and she is willing to serve God wherever Naomi determines. And so they make their way back to Bethlehem, <clears throat> and this is one of the best stories in the Old Testament, the book of Ruth, story of love, just the, the love that people have for one another. Can you imagine? 
three, four thousand years ago, people could actually love one another. Isn't that awesome? Loyalty, devotion, story of redemption, story of the favor of God to graft a Gentile into the direct lineage of the promised Messiah of God. All right? We have been grafted in to that lineage if Jesus is your Lord and Savior. If you've had a once upon a time moment where God has become real in your life and energizes you, and you see a trail of evidence behind you, you've been scripted into the story of God. <clears throat> now, along the way, she meets Boaz. Boaz is an incredible man of integrity. It's, it's so refreshing to read about him. He's an honorable man. He's actually a role model. All right? I mean, you don't, you don't find a whole lot of guys like him in the Old Testament history. It's probably worth studying him just as a character study. Maybe we'll get somebody to do that someday for me. <clears throat> so they go back to Bethlehem, and Ruth begins to glean grain to sustain them both. What that means is whatever the reapers get and whatever falls, that's what you get left behind. Okay? You're not actually doing this. Whatever She's just picking up the stuff that they miss, which is, could be substantial if the crop is good, right? So then it's a lucky chance that she's gleaning in Boaz's field. What do you think? <laughs> what luck? <laughs> right? God luck. The luck of God. So many times we have such good luck, don't we? Unbelievable. Because God's in your life, right? It's, it's really favor, the favor of God. But in a million years, how would it possibly be that that would be the very field that she's gleaning in? How is that even possible? <laughs> Boaz's field. So Boaz sees her, says, hey, I love it because he checks... He sends somebody to check it out. Hey, who is this? Who is this girl over here? So he goes, sees her just scratching out an existence. And uh, he says, Look it, stay here, gather grain, don't go to any other fields, right? Stay right behind the young woman working in my field. Stay in my field, gather grain in my field. See which field, part of the field they're in, follow them. I love this. I've warned the young man not to treat you roughly. Hopefully that's all. <clears throat> when you're thirsty, draw water. You know, he just shows her an amazing compassion. And Ruth falls at his feet, thanks him warmly, and she says, you know, you know what, have, what have I done to deserve this kindness? I'm just a foreigner. He goes, yeah, but I know everything about you. So he's already checked it out, right? Which is good. Always do your homework, gentlemen. Right? And here's the part that agrees with James chapter 2. I know everything you've done. Right? I see your character in your actions. I see your faith in your works. 
I know who you are by the compassion that you've shown Naomi. Your mother-in-law, since your husband died, since her, not her husband, but your own husband, I've heard how you left your father and your mother. You've left your own land. Of course, they've left, she's left their gods, Kamosh, to live here among complete strangers, again, to associate with the people of God, to identify with the people of God. Now listen to this, because this is an amazing blessing, right? I think it's like a prayer. <clears throat> when you say, may the God of Israel, isn't that like a blessing? May the God, the Lord God of Israel, under whose wing you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. He speaks a prayer of blessing over her. Isn't that amazing? What a, what a guy. Gotta love this guy. Now this reminds me <clears throat> of uh, something Jesus said. Okay? What? Do I have it? Yeah, here it is. Everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. So we see all of this at work in, in Ruth's life where she's given up family, homes, her culture for the sake of God and God has blessed her and, and uh, Boaz is praying a blessing over her. <clears throat> May the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come, take refuge and reward you fully for what? For what you've done. All right? Important, isn't it? Let's see. Now, end of the story. In Bethlehem, where is it? Let's go back. This one here. Ruth's going to begin a new life. Eventually, she marries Boaz and became the great-grandmother of King David. So Ruth, the Moabite, the Gentile, not only receives a new husband to replace her dead husband, but she's able to serve Naomi, and she receives a new mother-in-law in Rahab. So Rahab's her mother-in-law. Can you imagine the stories that Rahab tells her at a campfire? Uh, and Rahab is the redeemed Canaanite prostitute who herself is a shining light of the life-changing faith, right? So the presence of these two women, Rahab and Ruth, in the genealogy of Jesus may, may shock us at first, right? That old Scrooge, right? But what we want to see is what they became in God, what God did in their life, how faith was real in their life, and how they submitted themselves to God's plan for their life. Regardless of where it took them, wherever they went, your God is my God. And these women are examples of God's grace in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And grace is all about what we can become, right? Not what we are. We're in the process of becoming, are we not? So Rahab is a rehabbed prostitute. And Ruth is a former Moabite idolater. The gospel is right there. Isn't that the gospel? So in terms of once upon a time, <clears throat> uh, 1 Timothy 1.13, Paul says, I was once a blasphemer. 
a persecutor and a violent man. So we can, we can verify that, can we not? He's got a before Christ, even though he was very religious, wasn't he? He says, I'm blameless in religion, but what religion do him? Nothing. Didn't count anything. Anything that he did up religiously up until the moment that he actually surrendered his life to Christ, he says, I count as worthless. I count as nothing. So that's a change point for him. And he says, this is how I once was, but I was shown mercy. I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. I mean, Ruth could say the same thing. Rahab could say the same thing. Couldn't you could say the same thing? Hopefully you can say the same thing. Once you're alienated from God, you're strangers, enemies, not only in your minds, but in your behavior. Your minds were dark, minds wandering, minds going to wrong places, doing wrong things. And that's because we are estranged from God. But now we're brought close to God. We're reconciled by Christ because of his death. And we now can be blameless and set free from the weight and burden of sin and become holy in his sight, washed clean. What's better than that? Carrying a weight of sin and confusion and darkness or being washed clean of the holiness of God? I'm telling you, that's a once upon a time. Right? Once upon a time, you were alienated from God. There should be a change in your behavior. There should be a change in your direction in life. Now that you're reconciled by Christ, you should live for holiness. You should want to be free from all accusation. Shouldn't you? Should. He says, once you were darkness, another once upon a time moment, but now you're light in the Lord. This is the big change. Darkness is a big issue in psychology, union psychology, if you remember, we talked about that. But now you're light where? In the Lord, in yourself? No, in the Lord. Now what's going to happen? Walk as children of light. Show that you're moving forward. All right? Make some progress. How, how's walking? Walking is a slow thing, right? Didn't say jump in your car. Make some progress. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Find out what is acceptable to the Lord. Amen? No turning back. We're going forward. We're going to do whatever, whatever this is. We're going we're gonna to go forward. Brand new year. What do you say? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your grace and your power to, to change lives. <clears throat> I pray, Lord, for us at this beginning of a new year that we would be as resolute as Ruth, that we would go forward, that we'd say whenever, whatever, wherever, you're our God, we're going to be with God's people. We're going where you lead us, regardless of where that is. We're thankful, Lord, for this brand new opportunity to serve you in the new year. We just pray, Lord, that you continue to be at work in our life through your great, through your great grace. 
And Lord, wherever tomorrow takes us, that you're there with us. And we thank you for that. We thank you, Lord, for this little community of believers here that you've carved out of darkness. And I pray, Lord, that we would move forward in the goodness of the Holy Spirit. And God, if there's anyone that has made it this far into this sermon today that doesn't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have not actually made a decision that says your God is my God. You can make that decision today. To make a definitive decision to follow Jesus Christ. To make those commitments to a new land, to a new people, to renewal of faith in the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so, Father, we come before you right now. We just offer this time to you. We offer ourselves to you. We just thank you for these examples that we have, these role models for us. In Jesus' name. change to come knowing the battles won for you have never failed me yet your promise still stands great is your You're still enough. Keep me within your love. My heart will sing your praise again. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness.
so much, God, for your redemption, Lord. I pray that we wouldn't look back, Lord, on our past or focus on other people's past, Lord. Let us look forward, God. Let us say to the people who we love who are Christian, like, thank you, Lord, that you're growing, God. Thank you, Lord, that uh, these people, that they have the fruit of the Spirit, Lord. And yeah, let us just also not put uh, guilt upon ourselves over things that we've already prayed about for forgiveness, Lord, that we would not let Satan have that hold on us, that we'll say, you know what, God, you've redeemed me, you've forgiven me for these things, Lord. Thank you, God, that uh, today's a new day, tomorrow's a new day, we're going to grow 
in you, Lord, and we're going to every day, Lord, be more aware, God, of producing fruit, Lord, of your love. And thank you, Lord, for these women that we got to read about today, God. Thank you that they're in the lineage of Christ, Lord, that you've redeemed them. And just let us remember this message, Lord, this message of redemption. Thank you, Lord, also for Pastor Kurt's studies, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.